For healthcare policy wonks, it doesn't get much better than this. Mass General Brigham, one of the leading hospital systems in the world, is seeking state approval to launch a $2.3 billion expansion plan that involves more beds at Massachusetts General and Faulkner hospitals and three new ambulatory care centers in Westboro, Westwood, and Woburn. The deciding agency on the expansion plan is the Department of Public Health, but that's not the only agency that has a major stake in this issue. The state's Health Policy Commission, set up in 2012 to rein in the growth in healthcare costs, is drawing a line in the sand with the Mass General Brigham expansion. The commission has failed to meet its cost growth benchmark two years in a row, and seeing the state's largest and most expensive healthcare system trying to expand is doing everything it can to stop it. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by two healthcare policy wonks, John McDonough of the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard and Paul Haddis of the Loan Institute. John, let's start with you. How would you frame this fight that's going right now, on right now with this expansion plan? So the 2012 law, Bruce, that was established to rein in the state's overall healthcare spending, which has largely been a success over most of the past 10 years, and in recent years has begun to lose impact, and the state is now spending above its benchmark. The commission is in charge of trying to keep the system under the benchmark and they are increasingly seeing spending going above it. And the main actor involved in shooting spending over the benchmark is Mass General Brigham or MGB, formerly Partners Healthcare. And so the onus is on the commission to defend the integrity of the law. And there's no way to do it without going right to MGB's front door and they're doing that by requiring them now to participate in a performance improvement plan or a PIP. Now, the other side of this is that while this is going on, MGB wants to do this $2.3 billion expansion negotiated through the State Department of Public Health and deal with that aside from anything with the commission. And what the commission is attempting to do is to link the two together, to say that unless you can come up and get your spending under control, we should not move forward with these expansions. And that's where the crisis or the confrontation happens because now there's something that MGB wants in addition to what the state wants, which is to come into compliance with the benchmark. Paul, you're a former member of the Health Policy Commission. Talk a little through here what maybe the frustration they're feeling in, in terms of not being able to contain costs the way they have. What, are they, it sounds like they're taking a big step here with Mass General. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. I mean, they are frustrated by a whole bunch of issues which are longstanding from the price variation, which leads to much higher spending. And as John noted, those trends are actually getting worse in most recent years, not better. So that, that frustrates the HPC. They're also frustrated by the fact that 
some of the key events that could make things even worse, like expansions, they don't have the ultimate control of. I mean, they, they're entrusted to do the best analysis of, but in the, in, in the final result, when they find those expansions like they have here, problematic, they can't stop it. And they have to worry about their other sister government agencies to take action. The one, and they won't say this publicly, but I will on their behalf and on my own, the one they're worried about the most is the Department of Public Health, which, you know, as much as those folks might understand, and I like them, you know, around traditional public health issues, they really, by their history and the staff expertise and knowledge, don't really understand this finance, spending, market function stuff, yet they're the ones with their regulation that have to make a decision about whether these expansions go forward. And I'm not even sure they understand their own regulation. We might come back to that, so. Well, it does seem like what you've just touched on is sort of a, a problem writ large with this battle a bit. A bit. I, there was a letter that David Brown, the pre president of Massachusetts General Hospital, sent to the Department of Public Health sort of after the Health Policy Commission action this week. And he said, the HPPC, the Health Policy Commission, is focused on containing health costs. That's their primary goal, that's their focus. And I think he's talking as a head of this major hospital, we've got access, quality issues, we, we've got a lot of other things on our plate than that. Well, let me, let me respond to that one first, because I think that's a mis leading statement, and it's not only the HPC, but the Attorney General who filed a letter, I think backs this too. When you worry about providers who might lose as much as, let's say 250 million is the estimate of resources flowing away from them to MGB, and those providers are the ones primarily serving challenged populations, populations of color, higher proportions of Medicaid patients, there's real access and equity concerns embedded in that analysis of what and, and concern that the HPC is raising. So I think it's a, uh, it's a, both a deflection and a misstatement for Brown to say that. That is not the case. That HPC will, will tell you that quality, access, equity factors into the reviews that they do. Well, John, let, let me put it a little bit differently then. This is, this is one of the leading hospital systems in the world we're talking about. And I think they have a, a reputation, even the attorney general's office in their, their letter to the Department of Public Health went out of their way to praise Mass General Brigham, saying that they're, you know, this is my words, greatest thing since sliced bread. But then they raise carefully, they raise some concerns about what this expansion would mean. Uh, this dichotomy between this, uh, sort of the way the Health Policy Commission portrays it as this voracious, almost monopolistic health enterprise, and then the way they portray themselves and a lot of the world sees them as this you know, noble institution that's doing good. Um, how, how much does that play in this in this fight? Well, they are counter, almost contradictory images. Uh, a lot of people say MGH refers to man's greatest hospital as its nickname that some people 
get a chuckle out of. Um, but both images have legitimacy. So it is, and, and from, M, from MGB's point of view, uh, they don't compete with UMass Medical or B.I. Leahy. Uh, they're competing with the other premier academic medical systems around the country whose states give them a lot more degrees of freedom than MGB feels like within the confines of Massachusetts. Remember, it was only about seven years ago now that they were forced to abandon their attempts to take over South Shore Hospital and the Hallmark Hospitals north of Boston around Malden. And then they turned around and moved into China and tried to set up business there and that didn't turn out so well. And so now they're back to trying to expand within the Massachusetts stage on the outpatient side, which is where all of the massive growth is occurring. I mean, that's where spending is going, not on the inpatient, but on the outpatient side. And if you talk to the other providers in the state and you talk to some of the payers, um, you see clear evidence over a good number of years now, at least about more than 20 years of, uh, of partners now MGB having quite sharp elbows and kind of monopolistic behavior in terms of the way they have been able to use their leverage. Within Greater Boston, uh, MGB controls more than half of the physicians in the state or part of their primary care network uh, that feeds into their institutions. And so all of the other in institutions that rub shoulders with them are intimidated and always on the defensive in terms of their expansions. And there is, and that, and that, and that combines with where we are right now, right. which is a whole level of new renewed appreciation across the country with the impact of monopolistic behavior and the impact of allowing institutions to get too big. Partners was created in 1993 and 1994 when there was this attitude, we're deregulating, we're getting government out of this, let's let the market sort this out. And so now 30 years later, we look at the results and we're not too happy with what we see. And that's in healthcare and outside of healthcare. And so to some extent, MGB is getting caught up with the renewed appreciation that there needs to be a much more aggressive watchdog on the part of the state in preventing these institutions from getting too big, at least within the state border. I was happy with them dancing off to China. I thought that was great. Sorry, it didn't work out for them, but that wasn't then creating disruptive impacts. And now they're back to disruptive impacts in Massachusetts. Let me just intensify that more because I, I agree with what Judge just said to you. And, and I have sympathy for MGB because it has this really complex innovation, teaching, research, patient care mission, which has huge revenue needs associated with it. And they are competing against the Johns Hopkins and UCSFs of the world. But the challenge for us in Massachusetts is if in order for them to compete, they need to grab as much revenue from Massachusetts premium payers and makes healthcare unaffordable or have to expand in such ways that it threatens providers who have a much more local scope, you know, potentially them ailing and failing significantly to challenge their mission or even challenge their existence. MGB can't just 
you know, say that's too bad. You know, we've got a, a broader uh, revenue mission need. At least the state has to step in and say your 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 greatness is not at the expense of of the rest of the state. And I think that's where the rub potentially comes in here. So, so John, the um, you mentioned that 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 Mass General Brigham is competing with all these hospitals in other parts of the country and how there, there's this concern growing about letting them get too big. Uh, you know, maybe they need to be reined in. And so is, is what's happening right now, it may have started seven years ago, it sounds like, with the, with the South Shore Hospital decision, but is what, happening, is what happening right now a sort of evolution to sort of say, yes, the government has to get more involved in this market, more dramatically involved? I think absolutely. There, there was a sense, and this is why Partners was created back in 93, 94, the state had just deregulated its heavy-handed rate-setting system that regulated hospital budgets and how much they could grow on the notion that we're going to let the market sort this out. And by the way, it was Charlie Baker, then Secretary of Health and Human Services under Bill Weld, who really gave the green light for the creation of partners in the first place. And now Charlie presides at the end of his two terms as governor with a health policy commission going in one direction. And we're not sure which way the Department of Public Health is going, but could be going in an entirely contradictory direction. It just, I just gotta say, it looks foolish, potentially, if you have the policy commission trying to rein in their spending, and then another part of state government, the Department of Public Health saying, oh, you want to do a $2.3 billion expansion program? Great, go ahead and do it. Uh, there's, there's mission. And that contradiction has to go all the way up to the top, to the governor's office. And here's where the law and policy fails, I think. And not just here, but, but nationally. You know, we have antitrust laws, which tend to be applied in the merger and acquisition context. But when an organization as big and powerful as MGB or true even with Boston Children's Hospitals grows organically, builds its, rebuilds its hospitals with additional beds, expands ambulatory sites, the, the antitrust laws are not easily applied in that context. They didn't you know, merge and acquire and you can immediately see the market share the next day and say that that's anti-competitive. And so in some ways, well, I would call that consumer protection laws need to be strengthened there to prevent those things. There's sort of a hole in the regulatory legal scheme on how to evaluate and challenge these things when they really are not in the public's interest, shall we say. And so I think that's part of the, 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 the policy challenge as well right now. Well, is the, I know in their letters and their arguments to the Department of Public Health, uh, Mass General Brigham is often saying, you have a different purview. You have a different uh, judgment to make about this expansion. You're not just focused on cost. Is cost, should cost be the dominant deciding factor in these decisions or is, is it other factors as well? Well, the state has a regulatory scheme under the DON where the burden, not on the state, but on Mass General Brigham to show by clear and convincing evidence that its project advances state cost containment goals, as well as delivery system transformation goals. Both of those need to be advanced and in theory, or in, if you read the regulation, if either one isn't advanced, 
they shouldn't be allowed to go forward. Well, finding additional spending burden like the HPC has here, and mind you, you know, twice what it found in the South Shore context that John alluded to, and ultimately a state court judge rejected that as not in the public's interest for $45 million or 43 of additional spending here, here we've got 90, or when you take maybe $250 million away from other providers who are important to the people they serve in that part of the state and ail and fail and have a more limited mission, that might not what I would call good delivery system transformation. So, you know, that's the regulation. That's what it says should be enforced. That's why it's out of the books. But again, I, I, I worry that DPH even understands what I've just said to you. So, um, so it's important, I think, to recognize when the law was created, the cost control law in 2012, a lot of people, myself included, said, well, really interesting, creative, ambitious. We'll see what happens when the system starts trailing above the benchmark and whether the commission will have the authority and the backing from the legislature and the governor to take what's necessary, take steps necessary to bring it back under control. This is the moment of truth now. If the commission can't act effectively, then the benchmark becomes kind of a joke and no one else has to pay attention to it either, much less MGB. And that means then that the Department of Public Health has an ambiguous relation to relationship to this benchmark. And so they also need to decide where do they stand in relationship to it. And that comes down to their public health council, which has to vote on this uh, and is very much under the influence of the commissioner and the governor. So um, for, for those of us who don't know much about even this public health council, Paul, what are they? What, what, who are they? They're, uh, I forget the exact number, John might help me here, but they're stratified, meaning they have certain roles that they do in their professional lives or slated under the statute that, that the governor uh, appoints. And their job under public health council is to review and make decisions about a, a number of different sort of departmental issues that come under their jurisdiction. It isn't only the DON, program. So for example, some of the regula regulatory things that happened during the COVID era had to be approved as well by the, by the Public Health Council. But I think when it comes to market functioning like hospitals, doctors, health insurance, and, and health finance related issues and the structure of the delivery system, at least, it's that DON function that uh, is, you know, both the most visible and in some ways, you know, the most uh, important when it comes to affecting th th those kinds of things. And, you know, they, they there is a, the commissioner sits on, on, on it, you know, it, it's much more closely connected to the political process in the sense of it's under the Department of Public Health, the executive EOHHS, EOHHS Secretary Sutters sits over that department. She could talk to the commissioner who could talk to those public health council members before important votes are taken. And of course, they all ultimately work for the governor. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's uh, unlike the HPC, which is truly once they're appointed independent commissioners, uh, here there's a much closer nexus to the uh, executive branch, uh, you know, and the people leading it. So the Public Health Council has 15 members. The 15th is the Commissioner of Public Health. 
who sits as the chair. Currently, there's an acting commissioner of public health. So there's not a permanent one because of the departure of the commissioner, Monica Burrell, last year. Uh, and uh, they are all appointed by the governor, some to designated slots. And they can act independently, but generally speaking, uh, we don't see them breaking out of the barn and doing things that go against the wishes of the administration. So how this might play out. And there's also, you know, this determination of need process. People have said for a number of years that it really needs a revamping and a relook. And I think there are people in the legislature who are looking at it, um, but it is kind of off to its side with its own particular rules, regulations, and other kinds of requirements that have to be adhered to and looked at, or else MGB will end up in court and get any adverse decision overturned, potentially. Well, at, at, at the same time, you know, the speaker, and working with colleagues, there's a bill that's passed the House to deal with some of their own frustrations about this process. For example, one of the things that will happen if, if the speaker's bill went forward as it is now, that the ICA really, that so-called independent cost analysis loses all standing. It says that any reviews going forward have to be ones written by governmental agencies, shows you there's not a lot of healthy respect for, you know, uh, the value of, 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 I, of ICAs, you know, in the mix. It, it also gives a heightened role for the HPC to do a full cost and market impact review. And if they find concerns, and this isn't the current situation, problems with a particular proposed, uh, let's say, expansion like we have in front of us now, they could refer it to the attorney general who then can go into court under consumer protection laws. So clearly just naming those things, for example, shows that there's a lot of, uh, you know, or some amount of dissatisfaction, including from, you know, Speaker Mariano and others about the way the current process seems to be operating. John, you talked about the Health Policy Commission uh, and what the way it was set up, and you were always wondering, well, what's going to happen when sort of expenses start to outrun our benchmark? And it always seems to me like it was set up a bit on a hope and a prayer. You know, we're we're going to set this benchmark. Well, what if you don't match it? Well, maybe not. We won't. And actually, they never did anything until this Tuesday. They say to Mass General Brigham, "You have to come up with a plan to reduce your costs." Now it's sort of, it's very interesting that they did it this long into their tenure and they waited till this time to do it. What, what do you see? Is that a coincidence or what? Well, they, they, I don't think anyone would say they've been inactive. For example, they did an analysis of the South Shore and Hallmark proposed acquisitions by partners back in 14 and 15 that were significantly uh, uh, convincing to the rejection and withdrawal by partners of that proposal. So they've been, they've been very active. They've done the benchmarks, but for the first several years of their existence, uh, the state's rate of increase was going beneath the benchmark. So there wasn't the controversy. It's only been since about 2018 that they've started to go up above it. And you know, then you wanna wait a couple of years and say, okay, Maybe they're going to come back again and it's a temporary blip. So it is a process and it takes time. But I don't think anyone would say that the Health Policy Commission has been inactive. One other interesting thing is that there's one state, Maryland, who uh, 
Paul and I did an interview with on our podcast recently, where they have, they're the only state that has maintained strict state law budget controls over their healthcare system. And they are kind of a national model, although no state really wants to go down that road of hard caps. And so when Massachusetts came up with this softer model in 2012, and it showed early success, we've had about a half dozen states that have now either adopted this model or are en route to adopting this model because it seems like a more politically livable formula for a state to try and keep its spending growth under control, which is why the significance of this dispute right now not only matters for Massachusetts, it will also send out national signals, which is why this controversy has been getting national coverage over this past week. Let me add a comment about the context of Tuesday. It was not a random event that the HPC chose to invoke this performance improvement process on MGB this past Tuesday, the same day they were reviewing the proposed expansion. You might even say to support their sister agency, DPH, to potentially do the right thing when they've found difficulty saying really no to any expansion over time is to say, look, DPH, this is an organization that we're clearly saying has been having spending flowing to it out of control. So you put on the context of that, that that's been true year in, year out for a number of years now. Now they want to expand more, you know, and some would argue that if you're under a PIP, maybe the legislature ought to pass a law that says you have no right to even put forward a DON proposal, but, but that's not the law. So it's going before the Public Health Council. HPC, by what they did Tuesday, by doing both those things, is trying to give, I think, the Public Health Council all the courage in the world to potentially say no here, uh, saying, look, you know, this isn't coming in any context, coming in a context as, you know, and John alluded this earlier, where, where things are just not working. So my, my hope is that that message will be delivered. And what happens now that it's been delivered, uh, I guess we're all wondering about that. Well, and John, I didn't mean to suggest that they were sitting over there twiddling their thumbs, but I, what I was suggesting is they don't have much power in the sense of you can't do this or you can do this or we're telling you what you need to do they can write a they can analyze they can recommend they can refer but the one power they did have is this performance improvement plan which is an ability to tell the provider you've got to take steps to rein in your costs they hadn't done that ever until tuesday which is which i think that sort of reinforces paul's point but they even think that's a, a mealy mouth type right. process I mean, too. In, in the end, MGB could just write a half a billion dollar check and say, we're not really interested in engaging in your process under the current law. They could do that. They could do that. But uh, Stuart Altman, after that meeting Tuesday, was very adamant that he thinks they're going to comply fully with that. Right. And the bully pulpit, I'm not saying they're going to do that. And they wouldn't because... I think they have much more to lose in the legislature's eyes and even, you know, governors and other agencies' eyes if they do thumb, you know, try to thumb uh, HPC in the eye that way and say, well, we're just not interested in, in your PIP. Sorry. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up here, but I wanted to give you, put you guys on the spot one last time. So I think it's in sometime in the next couple months, this Public Health Council has to rule. 
If you're a betting man, what, how would you bet it's going to come down? What do you think? I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be optimistic and say that the Public Health Council is going to try to respect the wishes, not wishes, but the, the data and reality of the situation as, as discussed by HPC, that they will find a way to not allow the ambulatory care proposal to go forward now and perhaps allow the hospitals to be rebuilt, but maybe hold on the decision where they can add beds or not. After all, just by rebuilding them, MGB, MGH, for example, gains maybe 75 beds from just moving to a single room and format. So uh, perhaps allow that issue to be decided in a further review rather than modify the license now to add beds. So I, 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 you asked me the question, that's my hope and prediction. John, you have a thought? I, I hesitate to predict what they're going to do because it's also a legal analysis. And if you read the letters from MGB to the public, uh, the public health department from yesterday, um, it's very clear that they are anticipating that if this doesn't go the way they want, that it will quickly end up in court. And then it's a whole different conversation. So I would think that one possible way to get through this would be to get the parties to agree to defer consideration of these items until there is a clear and, uh, and, and uh, legitimate uh, performance improvement plan negotiated and in place and to link the two together. I think that was the key to what the HPC was trying to do. They were trying to link these together and MGB would like to deal with them separately, one over here and one over here. And I think that the uh, administration might want to weigh in and try to push it in that direction. But we will obviously have to see. A lot of it's going to be up to what uh, Governor Baker and Secretary Sutters want to do. So, John, you're saying everything on hold until MGB both not only agrees to develop the PIP, it gets developed. They live by it. We see how they're doing. We look at all sorts of aspects of their behavior and pricing and spending, and then uh, reconsider the whole ball of wax. That's what you're saying here? I don't think I'm going that far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying that you, you kick the can down the road on the expansions until there's a PIP in place so that there's an agreement by the parties to defer and wait um, uh, as opposed to uh, uh, keeping, within the, uh, keeping within the stricter timelines. All right, we're out of time, but that's very, I wasn't expecting those types of answers, but those are both fascinating answers. I appreciate it. And so John McDonough, Paul Haddis, thank you very much for joining us. And to our audience, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.